Welcome to the Be the Adult podcast. Be the Adult is a nonprofit organization that provides blueprints for calm and effective parenting so that children can grow into their best selves. Because ultimately, we aren't raising children, we are raising little people who will one day be adults. Good morning, Nancy. Hey, Marisol, how are you? I am okay. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. I'm okay. I'm okay today. I'm hoping for great later, but for now I'm good. How are you? Okay, during this time is usually pretty good for me. <laughs> it, I, I change day to day in my answer, so I think most of us have. I'm like an hour to hour person right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to like live in this cocoon of not receiving information from outside sources. <laughs> just, but I'm. Um, yeah, October has been, or the whole 2020 has been a practice in just trying to be calm and present. Mm-hmm. I, I Personally, for me, you know, we've talked about this in other podcasts. For me, it's very easy to escape into Netflix or books and just avoid everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, until everything, reality knocks on the door, right? <laughs> And I have to open the door and it's piles and piles of things I need to deal with. So I'm trying to be grounded and in the moment as much as possible. So, which yes. is a monumental task at this, you know, at this point. And so valuable too, right? Yeah. How are you doing? Well, thank you. I'm excited about our topic today. Um, so I'd love if you want to share that um, so we can jump in. I can't wait to talk about it because I have three teenagers. So this one just seems like I have so much to learn about. (laughs) Um, This topic, this, uh, this episode is listen to me. And the reason um, it's so important is that it shows our children that we value hearing both their thoughts and their feelings and tells them that they deserve to be heard and encourages them to speak up. It also allows for trust. Um, so this is a big topic for us to include in our concepts for a common effective parenting. Yes. I know I wasn't raised this way. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, for me, listening to our children, communicating that we're listening to them really hits at the um, core of helping our children feel good enough, right? So. And really, in any relationship, which I'm sure our guests will will speak to, also, I know a lot of guests are interested in hearing um, tips on um, increasing uh, communication in partnerships, marriage, etc. So I know he's very skilled at that. So um, we all want to feel like we matter in our relationships, and I know communication is one of the best ways we can show that. So with no further I do. I want to introduce um, Dr. Art Frankel. He's a professor of social work at UNCW um, here in Wilmington. He has written four books, 40 publications related to mental health and families. He has served in the American Peace Corps in India and currently is involved in working with Indian social workers on mental health issues in India. He also um, does a lot of psychotherapy in town with families and children. And I have known Art for many years. He is, I, I like to call him my mentor. I don't know if you know that, Art. But um, I remember showing up, I needed um, years ago, I think it was maybe 15, 16, maybe years ago, I um saw a flyer in my mailbox about a Gestalt workshop that you were hosting for continuing education credits. And I had a free weekend and needed my credits. And I said, I remember hearing about Gestalt and graduate school for a minute. And I went to the training and that was it. It was a pivotal moment in my life. It um, helped me get on my path to where I am now and to really becoming trained in gestalt therapy and trying to embody it and 
live that way. So I want to start off by thanking you for um, helping change the course of my life. Well, thank you. I, you. You've changed the course of mine too, Nancy. I've known Marisol and Nancy for a long time and watched as the uh, process unfolded, especially with this her focus on children and families. Um, and I think uh, nothing is more important than raising our children. I mean, I know we all are all out to find meaning in our lives in terms of impacting on broader perspectives than our children, but ultimately our, will be written in the book of life is how we, how we were with our children and how they are as adults. And that's the legacy we leave long after we are gone. So it's, this is very, very important stuff. And uh, communication is the way we impact our children and everyone else in this life. So it's a very, it's, it's a base, basic topic that we're on today. I got chills, Art, when you were saying that about our, our legacy and um, actually fighting my tears back because it really spoke to me. It's a profound way to say it. It scared me, but. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely scary. <laughs> I, I love Marisol, how honest you are. It's awesome. Um, Art, can you just, I, I just want to let you talk. I, I, we wrote some questions, but I, I really know that I could just let you go and, and um, you could fill the time with such meaningful information. But um, I guess maybe to start, um, if, from your perspective, if you want to just expand on, on the importance of listening to our kids. If you just, um. All right. Well, you know, listening is um, the critical skill in reaching our children and helping them grow responsibly in a healthy way. The first thing they do when they come into life is scream and it has an immediate effect. So they are learning organically from the time they are born that you know, using their voice and later their bodies in terms of their behavior, is a way to get their needs met. I mean, the kid cries and they're given milk um, and comforting. So, I mean, this is, this is from the time they're days old. And as they grow older, they find more creative ways to voice, the, to raise their voices, to get their needs met. So what, you're see, what we're seeing when children talk or behave is them trying to communicate messages of how what it is they need and then the question is how we can help them I mean, life is like this when you express yourself particularly um, using what I call the mad sad glad hurt scared it is always a message to the parent um, for example when the kid starts crying it means there's something wrong it's their their natural way of letting us know that there's something wrong in their lives. And it is always a request of us to either start doing something we're not doing or stop doing something we are doing. So the question is, do we hear the request? And if we do, can we meet it? Because anytime you get a request from a child or your partner or your parent, or your own parents, you have three choices with this request. You can say, yes, I am able to give it. I can do this for you. Two, you can say, no, I'm not able to give it for whatever reason. And three, you can offer a counter, make a counter offer or compromise to see if, if there's some way you can give part of what the request is so that everybody can get their needs met. I think uh, what happens is that there's a difference between doing this with younger children and adolescents or with your partners as adults. With children, they don't know what their request is. They just know the, there's a bodily reaction. Um, and it can be a glad reaction because when you're happy, the request is, I want to share it. I want to share with you. I want to be with you. When you're sad, the request is for comfort or sometimes to leave me alone. I just need to lick my wounds. When you're feeling hurt, 
It's usually a request to comfort comfort or to make to make whatever is happening stop so you're not feeling hurt anymore. And when you're scared, the request is, let me out of here, or like if a rat's running across the floor, let me out of here, or get me a baseball bat so I can hit it, or take care of it for me. So there's always a request, but children don't have a way of knowing what the request is. So part of what communication is with children and listening is to interpret their request. And when it's sort of, you see the child crying, they can't say, uh, mommy, daddy, what I'd like you to do is give me the cookie. Okay. <laughs> because you wouldn't give it to me. Um, and they, so you, re, you interpret that's what they're crying. Sometimes it's obvious, but often it's not. They, they're throwing a tantrum. You know, there was some small stimulus, like they didn't, somebody took their toy or they were fighting with their sibling, their sibling did something. But the request may be deeper than just what you see on the surface. So your job as a parent is to try to figure that out. And what we do with children is try to teach them to recognize what they're feeling because knowing what they're feeling implies the request. So if a kid is in preschool is throwing a tantrum, what preschool teachers are supposed to do is help them label the feeling. Oh, you're angry, aren't you? And that's great to label the feeling, but what most, what many parents and caregivers don't realize is labeling the feeling is, is just the first step. The second step is helping the child make the request. So for example, kids, comes to you before dinner and says, I want a cookie. Well, first thing that comes out of our mouths as parents is you can't have a cookie, it'll ruin your appetite. So the kid starts throwing a tantrum. So what is the meaning of the tantrum? Well, the kid's trying to say, I want you to, I want the cookie, I want you to give me something, is a request there. So what you need to do is help them say, I understand you want a cookie. And realize that this is a teachable moment that you can start empowering children if you can help them make the requests and teach them that sometimes when you make a request clearly and calmly, there's a chance that you can get what you need by through negotiation. And I had to teach that to my kids. For example, when my oldest daughter would come to, I remember, that's why I tell this story, she guess she was about three and she came to me before dinner and said, I want a cookie. Well, my, you know, the first thing out of my mouth was, yes, spoil your appetite. But I was realized I was trying to empower her, you know, to better control her life because that what we're all doing was trying to control more of our lives. One of the founders of Gestalt Therapy said, if you're alive, you're manipulating. This is not a negative idea, just simply we're all trying to manipulate our lives to get our needs met better. And done in a loving way, it's very constructive. Done in a sneaky or mean way, it's, it's not healthy. In any case, so my oldest daughter asked, I want a cookie. She, and she started, and I said, no, she, she started throwing a tantrum. So I got down at her level and I said, look at me. Why don't you start, why don't you ask me, since I said no, why don't you ask me, Daddy, if I have a, if I have my cookie now, and I promise to eat all of my meal, can I have my can I have a cookie? So I had her say that to me, and I said yes, because she basically she had, if, if she had known how to do this, she had offered me a a, a, um, a way to have her cookie, and promise to take care of me and take care of her. You better believe she ate her dinner. <laughs> but the point is, is that teaching kids to communicate and then to negotiate, and, but you, it's important because it, it gives them more, it empowers them. Clearly, a no is often a no. It has to be a no. And kids need to learn that. But, but a healthy relationship, be you a child or an adult, has three, has all three options. Sometimes you make requests of people in life and they say, yes, that's great. Sometimes they say no, and you realize there are certain issues that are just going to be no with your children or with your partners. And the third one is a counteroffer, the compromise, because life is a lot of compromises. So I taught my children that no, when they heard no, is often just the beginning of a negotiation. So while it drove me nutty as a parent sometimes, because... <laughs> 
I could see the little wheels spinning every time I said no. It, and, and so it was one negotiation after another. Um, and they learned no's for sometimes and no, and I would say, forget about it, it ain't gonna happen. But a lot of times we say no, and we do it reflexively, reflexively. And often there's our compromises. So teaching our, empowering our kids to look at the no's we say in life. And this is that's for us with when they hear every place. that there's often a beginning of a compromise if they can negotiate, beginning of a negotiation. Um, so it's, it's an important communication tool to teach children that. You have to teach them when they're little because it, the, go, the art of negotiating is called an art because it is a creative process and is not taught until you get to college usually. I think they have actually in business schools, they have negotiation uh, uh, training and classes, but it, it's important. So the, the, the communication issue is one where for smaller children, we have to watch and listen to the meaning of their behavior and of their, of their voice help them to speak it in terms of what it means to them, the request is of us, and then evaluate whether we can give them what we need, whether it's not appropriate, like, mommy, I want to stick my, stick my finger in a light socket, socket. No, that's not going to happen. But often it takes, it's possible to form, form a compromise. And I think most often that's the case. So, uh, um, when you were talking about um, often when we say no, we don't really mean no. We just haven't really thought through. Um, we're not regulated enough to really think about do we want to meet this request or negotiate it. And what I've seen a lot of what happens is parents will say no. Um, but what the child really learns is that if they keep pushing, it's not really a no. They can talk about it. I mean, they can get some of what they want. So how would you recommend parents do that? Because that often will set up for the child escalating because they feel like if they're persistent enough, it wasn't really a no, that maybe they feel like they manipulated the parent or do you know what I'm, what I'm asking? I, I was, can I piggyback on your question? Cause it's, it's sort of falls in line with what you're asking Nancy. Cause I, when I was listening to art, I was thinking of, even before the child asked the question or the initial question, a lot of times parents aren't, aren't even present enough to hear what the question is. It's just an automatic no. I, I was thinking back to how he said, and you've mentioned this several times about being looking at their eyes, like acknowledging the actual question that's being asked. Sometimes we go through this like fake, I, I'm the layman, I'm the parent on the, on the podcast. And sometimes you're just going through the motions of the day of getting, you know, the, the lunch packed and the, and the kid starts to have that tantrum. You, you're not even in a position as a parent to hear what they're, what they're asking for. It's just an automatic no. So I was going to piggyback on that. Like, what's the first step as a parent when to be present into that communication? But the question you were raising, Nancy, of, you know, the kids who keep coming back for more when they don't hear a no is a no. Again, it's part of a training process that there are consequences, we, what I call natural consequences we deliver to children, that if they keep coming back on the same issue over and over again, there's going to have to be some kind of consequence that will lead them to not do that again. And I'm not talking about punishment because that doesn't work, but it does talk about the issues of how children gain access to the goodies in their home when they are performing in a way that is not uh, conducive to their, their health. Um, I think that the first issue is we, we do need to be mindful of the children. And part of the reason they are acting out is that it's just, again, using their voice and their bodies to get the kind of attention they feel like they have not been heard. So this is just their way of doing that. And I, all of us, you know, are just going through our lives, making lunches and cleaning and trying to get the kids off to school. And we're not really mindful of their behavior. We're mindful of getting the, the tasks done with them or without them. 
So they're overreacting at some point to, to sort of signals say, hey, see me? Um, it's simply a way for us to suddenly avert, you know, give, give them our eyes and our attention. So at that moment, we need to wonder for not only what it is they were asking or asking us in the moment, but what it is they were asking and we didn't hear it because we were so busy. And that comes with first little kids projecting or interpreting, but with older kids like adolescents, um, they're responsible for telling us what's going on. And we may need to teach them to stop us and say, mom, dad, I need you to listen. Because this is life. I mean, we can't always listen. We, we wouldn't get anything done. So all of us with our partners, with our children, you know, need that reciprocity to force us to give them the attention that they're requesting. And that's part of communication, too. We cannot put it all on ourselves. We have to put it responsibility on our children as well. And as they grow older, they have more responsibility. So teaching them to come to us and say, mom, I need you to listen, or dad, I need you to listen, or to tug on us, say, you know, some, some signal, and then for us to respond to it. Because if we say, I can't talk to you now, I'll turn away, you know, then they're learning something too about how they have to up the ante to get at us. So that's part of the process too. But I do think it's important to the consistency of teaching children that sometimes a no is a no. And, it, and because if we give in eventually, then we're teaching them just to keep on trucking until they get it. So I mean, but it's a question of consistency. But if you're in a system where you're getting some of what you want, some compromise and some no's, that, that balance will allow the process of no being a no more, more possible. Because if a kid is hearing a lot of no's, it's gonna frustrate them. They're not getting their needs met. So they're, they are gonna up the ante to get your attention. And if you give it to them in any kind of frustrating way, I think it's gonna be, you know, what I said to parents when they're showing frustration at children, I said, would you go out and buy a pack of M&Ms? And every time you get frustrated, just give your kid an M&M. Mm-hmm. You were just reinforcing the very behavior you're trying to get rid of. But this brings up another point for me, is that parents' frustration with children has very little to do with the children's behavior. It has to do with their own sense of not getting their needs met in that moment, and the kid is interfering with that. And it comes from your history of how your needs were blunted as a child. Um, and you're just carrying those out in the here and now, and your kid is just part of the process in this life that's keeping you from getting your needs met at any given point in time, which is is, is true. I mean, the kids are annoying. They're not, they're not allowing me to do what I need to do. I'm not emotionally able to give it to anything to anybody, and they're asking for me to have an emotional connection. I, I'm not there. But the problem is, with little kids, is they don't have your history, so they don't know what's going on with you. So if you don't become present for them in the moment they are making the requests of you as, as, as they will in both low energy and high energy, then basically you're teaching them to perpetuate the same issues that you face as a child. That, um, you know, people are just not going to take care of me when I need it, so I'm going to have to up the ante to get it. And I can up the ante in two ways. I can either just tune out which we call depression, or I can just get more of a tantrumy, which we call uh, you know passive aggression. Um, but this is what we're teaching them. So it's important for us to be mindful of our own stuff as we encounter the children, and particularly the adolescents, because their job in adolescence is to frustrate us. That's what even Sigmund Freud believed <laughs> that adolescence' job was. Um, and be, be mindful of the fact that we are coming into these situations. And I, we're human. Um, nobody comes out of childhood without some issues I call damage. And I don't say that as a negative way, it's just normal. Um, but when we come encounter our children or our partners, as this case may be, um, communication 
you know, calming ourselves to be mindful and listen breaks the cycle that was perpetuated on us. And I'm, I'm saying us, it's everybody. It's, it, you can't come out of childhood without having issues of communication. I mean, it's impossible because we're human and nobody can take care of anybody perfectly. So there's always going to be issues in every family system, sometimes almost passed down from generation to generation, but sometimes uniquely based upon, I mean, kids are remarkably unique and they create situations we could never have imagined. Um, how we have to become present with them so we don't perpetuate our own stuff. I, I tell parents that the, the, the trick is every time you have an overreaction to a child, it has nothing to do with the child. They're just doing what they do. And our overreaction comes from our own history of our needs not being met, both historically and in the present as well. Because look, what the kid is doing is throw, he or she is throwing a tantrum. They're throwing a tantrum. It's annoying, okay? And you get frustrated. Feelings are very important because they are signals to the self of what we need from others, the request. So let's take the parent's perspective now. Kids throwing a tantrum, parents get frustrated, reactive. What does that mean? It means a request of the kid, I want you to stop throwing the tantrum. Once you've had that message, once the feeling gives you the message, you don't need the feeling anymore. It's done its job. So in a perfect world, <laughs> you'd have the feeling, it would tell you what I need, the request I'm making, and then since the feeling's done its job, now it's more of a cognitive issue. What strategy can I take with that request that I'm about to make that will increase the probability I'll get it? And it ranges everything from screaming, stop it, which is a strategy if you're doing it consciously, to, honey, let's sit down and talk about this. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, it's and everything in that range, but it's all strategic. And it's based upon your, your, your skill level to strategically make that request to the child. And that's, what I think, what parent training is all about. But what happens is we, we have the frustration response it's clear what it's trying to, the requests we're trying to make, we got it, but we don't lose the frustration response. That has nothing to do with the kid. That has to do with us. And you know, what Nancy, uh, you, I, I know are aware of, we call that in Gestalt therapy, our pain story. It's, it's what we bring to the moment, is, which causes the overreaction to any particular stimulus, because I mean, the kid is just, all they're doing is throwing a tantrum. It's annoying. It's disruptive to the, what's going on, but it's not the end of the world. And it doesn't require a screaming or frustration on your part because that does nobody any good. So it has to be coming from somewhere else. And so that's what we try to teach parents. To, we, said we never completely eradicate our pain stories. We, we work to try to mute them, many of them, and we can. That's what psychotherapy is all about. But you don't need to go through psychotherapy to become a better parent. What you need to do is learn how to just in the moment put your pain story behind you. And that's called mindfulness training. And I don't, if you want to call that psychotherapy, fine, but really it's just a, it's been going on for thousands of years. Um, it's teaching people to be able to focus on what is happening in the moment, regardless of what else is happening in their lives. And fortunately we can do that without having to go into deep psychotherapy to take care of what happened with our mommies and daddies. Um, we can do it regardless. It's a training process. It's a skill training process. It's not something deep. It's just a skill. We, um... I have a question. Um, as a parent, I, I have three children, and they all present differently to me when they want me when they want my attention. They're completely different, and but I try not a hundred percent of the time to show what when they want my attention or want me to listen to them. I use a phrase that Nancy, I you know, stole from Nancy, which is what do you need or want <laughs> at this moment? That's, but I, I, the question I have is I, you know, when Nancy coaches us through and the podcast, she has a very sweet tone. She's very like open-hearted. She'll kneel down, look at them open heart to open heart. That's not how I show up to the world, generally speaking. I'm sort of more, uh, 
you know, like, what do we need to do? What, what's going on? Let's get it going. Let's move on. More abrupt. My kids might say blunt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so my question, I guess my fear is the tone with which I want my kids to know I'm listening to them. It's not, I'm not a sweet, you know, fluffy, like <laughs> sweetheart. Um, but the intention is just as pure as, as Nancy. I just show up differently to it. Is that okay? Or is the, you know, we all bring in our own personal tone to, to that exchange with our children or, or should we all have, you know, a common language or presentation when we're trying to let our children know? Well, I love your description of Nancy being the, the mother all of us wish we had. <laughs> I'm, I'm really laughing. I appreciate that perception. <laughs> Go ahead, Art. Sorry. <laughs> because I also, when I work with my clients, I'm trying to present the father I never had <laughs> or the father I never was to my kids. Because, I mean, the reality is that in the fray of the moment, we're all human. So the question, and we're all after the goal of loving communication. So I always ask people what I'm dealing with, and, and my wife included, and my children, I don't think you're treating me in a loving way right now. <laughs> and when I hear that tone, because that's what we want in families. I mean, we want to be loved and we want to treat each other with, you know, what love means, which is in a loving way. So when I'm coming off with a tone of voice that is not a loving tone, and my kids know it, and my wife knows it, this is not, not rocket science here, it's, it's that overreaction I'm talking about. You know, I'm being annoyed in the moment. They're saying, what do you want in the moment? Or tell me what you want in the moment. <laughs> what, what do you need or want right now? <laughs> it's really, it's just the frustration response speaking. So it, it may have more to do with, I'm not in a place right now where I can give you the attention you so richly deserve, but I'll get to you when I, you know, make an appointment with you in five minutes or 10 minutes. Or I need to finish what's going on here. It's important to have that self-awareness of what you need in the moment more than what the kids need in the moment, because unless you know what you need, you ain't going to give what they need. So knowing what it is you're trying to accomplish in that moment when the kids come to you, um, can you know? are you in a place where you can give them that loving attention? Or are you in a place you can lovingly say, I can't, I can't deal with you right now. I'll get back to you in a minute. And if they can't take that, that becomes the part of communication of negotiate, teaching them to negotiate. Remember the yes, no, and compromise? If you commonly say, I can't talk to you right now, you better believe this is not going to be a happy communication pattern. But if you have a pattern with them of, you know, sometimes putting them off, sometimes saying no, and sometimes, you know, you know, compromising in a sense, you always put them off with a time you're going to get back to them. And if they know that, unless something is pressing with adolescence, something is always maybe pressing, it has to be happening now, 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 you set a better chance of, uh, you know, saying no and just letting yourself finish. But I mean, many kids will come, you know, they want when they want when they want it. And part of our teaching and communication is that doesn't cut the mustard if you're going to get your needs met. So it's important not to let them get their needs met on, at a patterned way when they come to you when you're not able to give them what they need. But if there's a balance there, over time, it will happen. The thing is, in any particular, you cannot judge the goodness of parenting in any particular moment because we all lose it. And the kids lose it. But you look at the, you look at the pattern of parenting to see how you're doing. And that's um, the key issue. So, uh, you know, I, I, you blow it more often than not sometimes. But as you begin the process, looking at over the weeks and months, is the pattern one that you think is healthy for you and the kids? So you're not gonna, don't, you don't want to kick yourself every time you come in and you know, yell at the kid. You just need to realize that it didn't do you or the kid any good. Learn from the experience. Learn that you're still having issues of mindfulness and caring 
frustration, anger into the situation that has nothing to do with the kid and learning from it. And that's all you can do. That's, it's, you know, you have, we just have to be, forgive ourselves and give our, cut ourselves some slack. Um, and it's, it's over time that you see the pattern changing. And I, you know, all of us who do this kind of work, we, we've seen it over time. We've seen some remarkable, remarkable changes. Um, one week looked like hell, you know, but over time, if parents are learning the skills of listening and controlling them, their own reactions, giving kids the kind of attention they need when they're able to give it and making sure they provide adequate time to do that so that they are putting time in for themselves, for their kids, and, and basically enjoying their children because children are, I think the only reason we have children is to enjoy them. Sometimes it doesn't look like that, particularly when they're adolescents. But even then, you know, you, you look back and laugh if, if, if it's not too terrible a process of adolescence or childhood. The, the other thing, too, is you, you have kids. I mean, this is all sounds swell, except you have kids that are uniquely programmed not to respond to communication skills very easily. I mean, at, at one end of the of the curve is the, the autism spectrum where kids are literally unable to listen. I mean, it's just, they can, but it takes months and months, sometimes years to get them to, to, to listen. And you listening to them is very difficult because it's hard to interpret what they need because they, they don't speak. And sometimes they do speak, but not uh, very clearly. But all kids come into this world programmed for certain issues. I, I like to tell people that, you know, we're all born with inclinations to be anxious or depressed. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's logical. It has to be that way. So some kids come in with a more sensitive nervous system, a more sensitive startle response. Sometimes you can actually see some babies are startled more easily than others. So when they're growing up, they're sensitivity to hearing no or to being yelled at is much greater than some kids who look at you and say, no, what you, what's, what's, what's up with you? <laughs> so, you know, we have to be aware that each child presents us unique listening issues in both directions. So kids that are having a harder time hearing, it may not just be because of the way we've been treating them. It may be they're just having a harder time listening because of their own unique DNA. And then there's the kids who are less responsive, less energetic in their, in their response skills. So again, they may require more of an attentive skill set than others. So part of it is when the kids are growing up, it's sort of, and you know, you see kid, three, three or four kids in one family. It's like, do they all come from the same family? <laughs> My three are completely different. I have one child that is more reserved. So when they do want my attention and they do, you know, are asking for something, I tend to be like, stop the presses. This child's you know, actually asking, wanting to talk to me. And I have others who every single day download every moment of what happened in their <laughs> experience. So it's vastly, vastly different, um, each, each child. And I think it's kind of a, something you said, you know, really uh, resonated with me. It is kind of a beautiful thing to watch as they grow up, how different they are. And it teaches me, I have to relate to each of them differently. They're, they, I can't treat, communicate with one the same way I communicate with the other because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> and that's part of, you know, that's part of the learning set that we have to teach parents is to, you know, begin assessing their kids. And I, I, I am a great, have great respect for heredity. Not that it you know, runs in families, but that kids are born with different inclinations to be certain ways. And I mean, I, I mean, it's quite remarkable. Um, I'm in awe of it. So that as kids, children are growing up, it requires us to begin adjusting to that reality. So it's, uh, 
you know, I, when we, I tell my students, um, the two hardest things you're going to do in life are first raise children because it, it's exhausting, not just because it, you know, the diapers and the laundry and the cooking, it's exhausting because of the amount of mindfulness you have to put into it. And that takes a lot of energy. And it, it, the only thing that drives it is love, because why else would we do this <laughs> in the sanity? You know? but the, the other thing that's the hardest thing they'll ever do, which people don't really understand, is marriage or coupling, because that also takes an amazing amount of mindfulness. And it, it's frankly, the skills you learn to listen with your children are the exact same skills you need with your partner. So it's not like we're teaching a skill set that's just unique to one um, one group of people. It's the same skill set you need to maintain intimacy with and, and closeness with your partners as it is with your children. So that's the cherry on the cake. If you learn it with your kids, you can you know improve your relationship with your parents too. I mean, with your partner too. So, but it is exhausting. It's exhausting. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. One thing I probably learned from you that's been really helpful over the years and helpful in, in my marriage too, and, and all of my friendships and with coworkers is to check in. So when I remember, I write myself a note to check in with my kids and say, hey, how, how is this going for you basically? <laughs> do, do you feel like I hear you more often than not? Are, are you basically getting your needs met um, from me? Because like you said, Marisol and, and Art, it is different for each child. And even just I have found asking the question shows them how much I care and how much they matter to me and that they really feel like I want to know them and hear them. Even it, it helps in those moments when I'm not present. Um, and I have many moments, Marisol, where I... <laughs> I, I'm hoping no one's looking through my windows and how I'm interacting. So, but I appreciate what you're saying. Um, that point is well taken, and it's very important because checking in is another skill. Since we cannot read our kids, you know, as well as they read themselves, I often said I can't know you as well as you know yourself. We have to project on our younger children, but as they grow older, they they are responsible for letting. A set, having a sense of themselves and so checking in is is the is the evaluation method the fail-safe method because you think may think you're doing great the kids are calm nothing's happening you know you know no news is good news kind of thing but the reality is there's there's a gap there so checking in is the way you, you, you sort of see how you're doing yeah i just had this experience just a few days ago with my 18 year old daughter who's it was the first time I heard her use this phrase, so I, I perked up. But we were having a discussion, and it got a little heavy, emotionally heavy. And she said, I don't have the energy or the space right now to have this conversation. She said to me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was a bit taken aback because I was like, who taught you that phrase? Like, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I was, it was wonderful because I knew that that was the point where we needed to end this conversation and, you know, we would circle back. Here's, you know, one of the skills that we teach, I mean, this, we haven't talked about it. It's surprising. We're talking about listening. We're talking about active listening. <laughs> the act of being able to just quiet oneself and focus on the person who's trying to tell you something. You cannot have a heated discussion or an emotional discussion if it's only going one way. So when I have people in my life, be it my wife or my children at this point, who else do I contact with in the COVID era except over Zoom? Um, the issue is when I hear there's emotionality coming from one side, then my, my responsibility as a loving adult, being a partner or father, is to make a decision at that point, can I listen? If I am not in a place where I can listen, I should be in a place where I listen, but I'm not, then I have to let them know that this is not going to be a helpful communication at this point, but I will make an appointment <laughs> specifically, not just talk, talk to you about it later, but talk to you when, when, when I will be able 
to actively listening and what I call as a compassionate witness. A compassionate witness, whether you're listening to your child or your partner, is one who's in the moment looking at the children's communication to you in a compassionate way as if no matter how crazy they may seem, it's their truth, it's their perspective. And trying to understand their perspective and being aware that they're in their communication, like your daughter's communication, she was in some pain, she was emotional. And it's not the same as getting a boo-boo when you're cut, but it's psychic pain. And when you see a child with, in pain, whether it's psychic pain, angry, hurt, depressed, or whether they have a boo-boo, our natural reaction needs to be a compassion. So when I'm hearing this child who's screaming at me or upset with me, my if I'm willing, if I'm really going to listen and try to take care of the situation, one, I have to quiet myself so I'm not reactive and not preparing myself when they're finished talking or you know, what's my comeback going to be. But basically listen to their pain, listen to their story, understand that for whatever reason, they're in pain, and how am I want, which, do I wish to respond to it? You know, when there's two people in a room, I, I, I love this is an incredible uh, reality for me. Since I do a lot of family counseling, I'll hear the adolescent and the parent telling the story of what happened as if are they in this, were they in the same room? Were they in the same life? Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's called perspective. People come into a situation viewing certain issues of the situation to fulfill their own need as to what their truth is. So it's, it, it's useless to try to find out what the truth really was, unless you had a videotape going. And even then, you know, you would have to be interpreting what you're seeing sometimes. So it, it's irrelevant to talk about what really happened. If you really want to communicate and listen, you want to simply let that person tell you their perspective, tell you their truth, as crazy as you think it might be. Because you're sitting there listening to this, what? I never said that. This didn't happen. It's irrelevant. What's important is that is their truth. And if you want to communicate with them, if you want to truly hear them, you have to let your stuff go, stay in the moment and understand they're giving you their truth. And if you want to communicate with them, you're going to have to validate that truth. Validate and say, no, it's not agree with it, but say, I understand it. I respect it. And then move on from there. Because it is only by doing that that you're going to be able to really communicate, particularly as children get older and to adolescents. If you don't do that, you're lost. So you can't have an argument if only one person is arguing, because their energy will come out, but it will help in a healthy way, they will cathart it. And from that process, they will have a request of you. Because at the end of that process, when you're a compassionate witness, the question is, okay, I hear what you, how you feel. I hear what you believe happened. What do you need from me right now to take care of your truth? And often the request is not unreasonable. To take, so you're giving them something for their truth, even though it has nothing to do with what you think happened, as a gift to them to take care of them. That's, that's what's called a loving, compassionate listener. And that's an important skill, very important skill. Yeah, and sometimes, I, I, I love how you explain that. Um, and sometimes all they really need is just to be heard. That period, end of discussion, that, that is the gift that we gave them. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I often have to tell myself to shut up. <laughs> me, me too, me too. Yeah. Um, so Art, I'm I'm looking at our time and wanting to talk to you for the next 52 hours, like I always do when I talk to you. Um, I would love to um, in, invite you back on for a, for another sure. um, topic, but I I just really want to thank you for your wisdom and wonder if there's anything that you'd like to share that today that that you haven't um, before we close. <laughs> I appreciate how the two of you have interacted with each other to keep this process going because it really, uh, it's, it's helped me focus on what 
you know, I was trying to say. So now I don't have any pearly words of wisdom. <laughs> really, have pearly words of wisdom. As you know, Nancy, I only tell the people I work with. I'm only the more experienced client in the room. Yes. I, you know, everything I say that, that people should do, I've been guilty of not doing. In my, the only difference I can tell them is I simply have more self-awareness. That's all. All the therapy I've received as part of our training has taught me to be more aware of what I, where I am in the moment. And that's helped me. Um, I, I'm not sure how much I finished the business with my mommy and daddy. I've worked on that. But basically what I've learned is no matter what's happening, um, if I can be aware of, of myself, I have control. The only, you know, the only thing you have control in this life is you. Yes. And self-awareness is, is the key to, to getting that control. The rest of the world is chaotic and crazy, but we have the ability to take care of ourselves. And that's, that's a gift. And the more you can do that, the more of a gift you give yourself. But I appreciated being here with you. It was fun. And I'd be happy to do it again sometime. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Marisol, anything that you want to add or ask before? We... I just want to remind the audience, you know, which we do every week is, you know, to have grace for themselves because I and the first person to say I, my communication skills are something I'm continuously working on here at home. And it's, it's a practice, you know, it's a practice. And if just to have grace for yourself and when you fall off the proverbial mat, just get back on and try it again and, you know, have compassion for yourself. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing to model for our children, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you both so much. Um, thank you, listeners, for your time. And um, everybody be well. Make sure to listen, subscribe, and rate and review. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs>